Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 171 for Monday, December 13th, 2021. Not a whole lot of that year left. Uh, my name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is my good friend Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if folks listening at home would like to find out more about the very first pieces of physical media, we're talking like DVDs, maybe even VHS tapes, look it up, oh. kids, uh, <laughs> then you should listen to the render distance because we that's what Johnny and I talked about uh, pre-show was the, the first pieces of media that we owned. Took a trip down memory lane a little bit. Blowing the dust off some of these memories, I think. <laughs> Something you used to have to do as well. Uh, mm -hmm. If you want to know a little bit more about that, you can head over to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and become a member and then you'll get access to the render distance which is the extended version of the podcast that we record every week and a lovely time it is too uh how has the citadel been i saw on your stream that you have now updated the world to 1.18 how's that been going for you so we haven't really uh, expanded or explored yet. We're still going through um, tools like chunk base and whatnot. Uh, we've decided, I think, that for now, the best way to approach 118 content when going horizontally uh, is going to be uh, to use the fast travel that we've already installed in the world. Um, for folks that don't know, we use command blocks to travel great distances. And that allows us to keep certain thematic areas away from others so the modern city is like fourteen thousand blocks away from the medieval city so you don't have a skyscraper behind your castle basically mm -hmm. uh, and there's no and you don't have to worry about it you can kind of adventure around and you're never going to run into another zone because we put them so far apart um we've decided that i think that a 118 zone is going to be um the best way to do it for two reasons one it's going to keep um that area separate and those chunk loads and biomes will all be unique to 118 it's going to be a completely new experience uh won't have to worry about borders blending and stuff like that um however the other reason is um because we are a you know server of busy adults uh it's going to save the time to like searching all over uh minecraft and, and high water looking for a mountain or looking for something that's cool you know? Yeah, sure. Uh, and so rather than, I mean, we're still going to look, but we're going to start off at least in like a fun valley or something. And there is some chatter about like, it would be cool not to make, not to do like a Dartmouth Meadows too, but like to go pick an area that looks cool and fun. And if people want to all build together, great. And if not, then we can, people that can then adventure out from there naturally and just kind of find the stuff that they want. Um, yeah. Yeah. So m most of that is, has yet to come. Uh, I have just, I've been in so busy with the, the Citadel's project of West Hill that I've really been focusing on mostly 117 content. I'm just kind of continuing on with where I was before, um, with the interiors to the main gate. But I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but the very first thing that I noticed, which you'll see in some of these screenshots is the difference in lighting. Uh, I spent, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of weeks working on interiors, um, uh, last week in one seventeen, and rather than getting surprised by a creeper every time I went into a room, I would be putting candles and lanterns and stuff all over these very small houses. Well, now I'm in the main gatehouse, which is something I haven't touched the inside of in a couple of like a year because I built it and then I just didn't finish the inside. Um, now having more resources and more, uh, I guess, confidence in going inside and quickly putting in an interior, I've been doing that, and I'm using less light sources than I am in like little five by five houses to light entire floors of the main gate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there's an overpass that goes over the gate. It's got to be 12 or 13 blocks long. There's one lantern in it. The whole thing is spawn proof. 
I you know? love that. It's I so love cool. I love that so much. And I, I, just looking at the screenshots you posted for us in the live chat, so much more atmosphere. And obviously a little bit comes from you using like enhanced default shaders and stuff a little bit. So there's, yes. there's occasionally like, you know, a, a patch of moonlight on a wall that wouldn't be there in vanilla. But even so, just having a couple of candles on a table in a bedroom makes so much more sense than there being torches on three walls. <laughs> you yes. know, it just right? ma- it makes so much it, like it gives it the character that some of this stuff deserves. And like every time I go back and look at the lighting changes now, I do shake my head and wonder why on earth this wasn't done sooner because of the amount of lighting stuff that's been added in recent updates from lanterns and even stuff like the um the soul fire lanterns and torches that we got with the nether update you've got to think that must have been on their radar at that point thinking people aren't using these as often because they're not good for straight up lighting areas for spawn proofing and and now all of this has happened it makes everything like this look so much more in character with the world which is beautiful i yeah i agree it and it's it's been a trip mentally as well because like you're going down a staircase and you kind of pause for a second going like oh wow this is dark like this should and then mm-hmm. you turn and then you turn on your you turn on your your f3 screen and you're just like well okay well for the first 12 six blocks i'm on stairs so i know i'm good but then you get down to the landing you're like no this is like light level four <laughs> like yeah. it mm-hmm. looks like and this is without shaders this is just like normal gameplay so i've definitely had that kind of like triple check moment where like and even the chat is like are you sure i'm like yeah it's fine <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. fine um, so yeah, it's been fun to put like candles and, and stuff in bedrooms, have them be dimly lit, play around with different ideas, different lighting. Uh, it works well too, because if you want to highlight something, you can kind of, rather than having to put the lantern in the dead middle of the room to light up everything, if you want the lantern to be above the bed, or you want the bed or a table or a window to be highlighted specifically from the outside. Like there was a point when I was looking outside and I thought, well, this is cool, but I'm I'm not finding that. I've, I've got this nice dim light inside, but it's not enough to travel outside. But now you can put a couple of candles on a windowsill and it's just enough to highlight the window frame so that at night outside from 30 blocks below on the ground, you can still see, oh cool, there's detail up there. There's a window. Um, so stuff like that is what I've been I've been playing with briefly. Um, just kind of looking at lighting, looking at different things. Now I you know we do have the tables and chairs data pack on the server, which does help with the candles. Like you can put tablecloths down, and the white tablecloth gets a nice highlight when you put a candle on it. So there are a few things that we have data packs for that is helping a bit. But you know candles are vanilla, lanterns are vanilla. The lighting in general is all just vanilla. I don't have any lighting mods. It's all just it's all just basic stuff. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of experiment and I'm starting to also push through in a um design sense. I'm coming to get closer to the we'll call it the richer part of town. So the design of the interiors are going to be a little bit less rustic. There's going to be more bookshelves, more desks, you know, fancier chairs. Uh, bigger beds you know i'm putting more double beds down than i am just like single cots in the corner so Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff has been fun but that's that's basically what i did this weekend because it took last week was mostly troubleshooting and getting everything running i also had my patreon server to take care of um thankfully i had help on that as well so big big shout out to to mini packs for helping out with that but then also this weekend i really just had the my first chance to play so it wasn't like i have a lot of hours logged but it it so far feels pretty good. I'm looking forward to the first time I'm going to go mining 
which is going to be a nice break from all the medieval building and just be like, look, I'm just going to go back to maybe even Dartmouth Meadows or someplace that's familiar and just dig down and see what happens, yeah. you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be the fun adventure where I'm not going to worry about chunk borders because I'm not going to be near any. I'm just going to be going down, seeing what's there. There could be a dripstone cave under Dartmouth Meadows. We've got no idea. So that, that yeah. kind of stuff is going to be fun to, to explore. Um, what, I mean, you've got a brand new world. What have you been doing in, in Minecraft this week? Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a contrast between you and I for the next little while because you're still exploring new stuff in the old world and I'm just starting fresh and new. I've just got to the point, as far as the videos I've published so far, where I've established a starter house, I've got a storage room, I've done a little bit of caving, uh, tomorrow's episode is going to be about going to get diamonds for the first time, but I'm, I'm playing it slow. I'm not doing all of that stuff day one, you know? Uh, I found a lush cave that has an abandoned mine shaft in it, which is probably my favorite environment in 1.18, when you get glowberries and moss growing everywhere and it sort of segues into oak planks and the support beams and everything of a mine shaft. I think that's always like peak 1.18 generation for me. Um, so I've been doing a little bit of caving, exploring, getting geared up. I started enchanting this week, which will come out a bit later, but I'm like, I'm recording four or five episodes ahead just to kind of build up a bit of a backlog because the episode recordings can be relatively short right now. So I, I'm running into a couple of things like I really wish I could jump ahead and get an XP farm started so enchanting becomes a lot easier and I'm having to figure out, okay, in the early game, what options do I have for that? Do I just keep going mining? I'm probably going to start to do fishing and stuff relatively soon, but it's very back to basics right now, which is refreshing for me. I'm finding it enjoyable and I still get a few people asking me, why didn't you keep your old world? And my answer to that is, I didn't want the temptation of making it easy for myself to go back and get all of the resources that I had before. You know, if if I know the coordinates of the center of the world, then I can very easily just like fly on back to save myself some time and, you know, grab a bunch of resources and then come back and say, hey, I got all of this stuff when really I haven't, you know? So I, I think it's it's nice to be playing the game a little bit slower in the survival guide world and having a lot of fun doing that. That might be something fun to do on the Citadel as well. I know that in uh, my Discord, there's been talk about like, you know, one way transport, like, you know, set up a command block to set up a new zone uh, uh, for people that like want to start over, but don't want to like start over forever, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and because people might have put in a lot of time into builds and things like that. And one of the ideas was like, you give yourself nothing. You use a command block or you, uh, you know, an admin will teleport everybody like so far away that it is very inconvenient slash just impossible to go back and get anything. But once you advance through the progress of Minecraft to the point where you have an ender chest, then you have access to whatever you've left in your ender chest back at home base. And so it's a way to like, okay, I have to play early game. I have to kind of explore and experience 118, but I don't have to go through all of this nonsense over again. For example, we had somebody talk about not wanting to beat the dragon again last week on the show. Like that kind of a thing where like you have your elytra, leave it in your ender chest. You still have to try to figure out how to get an ender chest. And Mm -hmm. and if you're not rushing it, like if you're taking your time, then that's going to be a decent amount of gameplay at like, early game exploration and digging a hole in the wall and all that kind of stuff too right yeah like i haven't even thought about going to the nether yet and that's really interesting because i think by maybe episode 10 of my first world i was in the nether already (laughs) and this time around that's not happened and i think it's because there's so much to explore in the overworld for now 
and there's even a little bit more of like you know resources being accessible like i think if i want to go and get magma blocks or something i can get those from the overworld i can just swim down into a cave and there's usually a couple of them there so that there's there's interesting like give and take on that kind of stuff and i'm trying to take it at a, a regular enough pace that i'm introducing a decent amount of mechanics per episode whilst also reining in my own ambitions a little bit and so yeah I, I expect i'll probably get to the nether maybe by like a little after christmas at this rate but I'm, I'm really not rushing and that's been fun and it's fun to celebrate the overworld for what it is because of how much has changed in the overworld compared to nothing really changing in the nether or the end since the nether update i think it's it's nice to revel in the fact that the overworld has gone through such a transformation while the other dimensions have been left relatively untouched and i think it's it's cool being in a new world and being able to uh, to be part of that out of curiosity because the last time that the nether updated you would already have established your world and you would have trimmed nether chunks to then yeah. update the nether this time around you've got a fresh nether having no idea where you're going to go and mm -hmm. the knowledge of 116 um, behind you, knowing that the nether could be very different and perhaps very dangerous. And so how like has that determined a little bit of like, well, I don't want to rush to the nether because I'm just going to get my face handed to me. <laughs> I think a little bit of it is trepidation, yes. But I think I do want to get solidly geared up before going to the nether mm. just to make sure that you know i have some protective armor on me if i emerge in a basalt delta and suddenly there's magma cubes everywhere you know mm -hmm. um th there's there's a little bit of that part of it but i do think the cool thing about this now is i don't know where my big base is going to be like i've got a starter house and everything but i'm still planning on exploring a little bit maybe going to find a big cave or a big mountain or something that feels very typical of what we wanted from 1.18 and then establishing a larger base there once the tutorial aspect has progressed to the point where we're comfortable exploring a little further and even uprooting your entire living situation to somewhere else at which point I could maybe be selective about that based on where the nether biomes are. So if I pop through a nether portal at my world spawn, it's a soul sand valley or something awful, the generation doesn't work out for me, I don't like it, or it's above a giant lava lake or something like that, I can tell people, well, this was the worst case scenario, so what I'm going to do is hop back through to the overworld, go and find some place that I feel like setting up, see if the nether situation is any better over there, and I still have a portal back to spawn that I can get back to once I'm a little bit more comfortable navigating the nether environment. So mm. the, there are options there, and I think considering the overworld as a point to dip into the nether and find a spawn in the nether that's right for you is another interesting aspect to this whole thing i'm still crossing my fingers that i'll get something simple like a nether wastes <laughs> or something like that but even so yeah it's it's a very different landscape going to the nether for the first time and it's not something i've had to experience except for maybe you know hopping into multiplayer servers and figuring out where to go in the nether from wherever we were before but uh yeah in in the survival guide world that's been a nether wastes because it was generated in 1.13 uh mm. so I, I think this is this is going to be all fresh and new and i'll make sure to prep everybody for the worst case scenarios in case they end up happening i for the sake of the tutorial side of things i hope you end up in something like a crimson or warped forest or just something more than just nether wastes it's like it's i'm hoping for variety of the series and and for an opportunity to say like, okay, well, this is what you do when you don't get something easy. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Another spawn. I think that would be fun.
Yeah, I, I'm at the very least prepared enough that I can walk through the portal wearing gold armor and not have nice. to worry about being instantly attacked by piglins. Uh, speaking of piglins, though, I have been on the Don't Die December server this month, and my goal there is just a very casual, let me go and find all of the music discs in the world, starting with Other Side, and uh, this week we got Pigstep uh, from a Bastion, which I think one copy had been acquired before, but it was by somebody who died later that gameplay session. So I, um, yeah, being a hardcore server and only having one life, I wasn't able to recover the disc from them. And so I went and found a copy of it myself. And thanks to one of my other server mates, BJW, of uh, sending over discs from his mob farm, I now have a complete catalogue of every music disc. And I'm thinking about doing some fun stuff in the record store, like um, if you put music discs into a jukebox, a comparator signal will output a different signal strength depending on which record is playing. So I'm potentially going to have like maybe like a light up dance floor where different sequences of lights play depending on which disc you put in to listen to or something like that. And I'm, I'm going to work on some designs for that this week and maybe end up building it on the server Tuesday or Thursday this week. But um, having having every music disc in the game is a weirdly satisfying thing as somebody who's a, a completionist about this game. Well, and into music as well. Mm. I didn't realize that the music discs put out different comparator signals, do they? Yeah, they do. Um, if oh, you put cool. um, disc 11 in, it outputs a comparator, like a, a redstone signal of 11, if you uh. if you measure the jukebox with a comparator. Uh, I think 13 puts out uh, like a signal strength of 1, so it's not entirely consistent with like the numbering of it, but because um, 13 and cat are the two that you get in dungeon loot chests, so they're the most common ones. Right. And so they give off signal strengths of 1 and 2, respectively. And then up through, you know, Stahl and Ward and Mellow High and all of the other discs that you get from farming creepers with skeletons, they put out different signal strengths. So, yeah, you can do some fun stuff. You can effectively use music discs as keys to produce different effects if you're good enough with redstone wiring. So that's a, a redstone challenge that I'm setting myself for uh, the next next couple of weeks because the don't die december server goes away at the end of the month hence the name so we're uh, we're going to have <laughs> a little bit of a rush to make sure all of this stuff can be put in place but then that's stuff that i can also do later on in the survival guide if we're exploring fun redstone easter eggs like that there's going to be some freedom in participating in a server slash a world that's just got 30 days and you know like you oh don't yeah have, nothing is permanent you don't have to think you don't have to noodle about everything like i do <laughs> that's why yeah. everything takes so long on the citadels because <laughs> i want it to stick around right and yeah. so it takes me forever and like i those interiors this weekend it took like six hours you know <laughs> like it yeah. just mm -hmm. whereas you know if i was building something like that with i don't want to say not a care in the world but like when you're just like well this is just what i'm going to do i have one idea it's going to take me the 30 days to do something with music discs and you just you have your theme you just kind of go to it, it there's definitely yeah. some freedom in that yeah, as, as a content creator, especially as just somebody who's streaming this for a month while Survival Guide gets up to scratch, it's nice to have a project that I know if I die in the, in the server, I'm not losing a great deal of content. Like at this point, I would only yes. be losing a couple of weeks worth of streams and I could just do something else at yeah. that point. But uh, yeah, it's nice as opposed to dying in like a couple of year old hardcore world and thinking, oh, all of that potential is now down the drain. Um, let's move on to the news uh, before we waffle too much here because Minecraft Java Edition 1.18.1 was released this week. We talked about the pre-releases for this last week, but this release has notably fixed a critical security issue for multiplayer servers, which we'll talk about a little bit later. There are also changes to how the world fog works to make more of the world visible and fixes for a couple of other bugs. So the technical changes are fixing an issue that would cause players on low bandwidth connections to get a timeout error when connecting to a server, 
World Fog now starts further away from the player to make distant terrain more visible, and instead of applying fog as a spherical volume, it is now applied as a cylindrical volume. The fixed bugs in 1.18.1, aside from the security issue, are that actual render distance was two chunks lower than the render distance setting, thanks to, I think, the fog. Uh, beacons powers reverting back to the previous one on world reload. Uh, bees inside of beehives and nests sometimes despawning if the world was reloaded. Observers activating without any updates nearby caused by the slash clone command. And chunk render distance on servers seeming shorter than in 1.17.1. So, onto the security vulnerability, which was discovered this week. Uh, Mojang and a, a bunch of other people, actually, this was pretty widespread when I was reading about it online. Uh, they've identified a vulnerability in the form of an exploit within Log4j, which is a common Java logging library. In Minecraft's case, it was used to log chat messages. Uh, the exploit affected a lot of services, including Minecraft Java Edition. There is an article on Minecraft.net that outlines in very simple terms the steps for what you need to do to correct this if you are concerned about it, and you should be because the potential was for uh, anybody on a multiplayer server to receive a line of text in the chat which your computer might interpret as code and could be used to run software <laughs> from basically wherever. It could remotely execute code. Uh, so what you need to do if you play Minecraft Java Edition but you don't host your own server, you can close all running instances of the game and the Minecraft launcher, start the launcher again, and the patched version would download automatically. So very simple if you're just playing single player. Modified clients and third-party launchers, if you use those, might not be automatically updated. In these cases, Mojang recommends follow the instructions from the third-party provider, who will most likely issue an update to correct this. If you host your own Minecraft Java Edition server, we recommend going to the Minecraft.net article because the instructions from Mojang are included there, and it should be nice and easy to follow. You've just got to make sure that it's updated ideally to the latest version, but make sure you download the updated server jar for whatever version of Minecraft that you're running. Minecraft launched Minecraft Now this past week on the Minecraft YouTube channel. It's a live production each month from the Mojang team. The December episode featured some live Caves and Cliffs gameplay with Olaf and Henrik, guest segments with content creator Iskal85, an update on Minecraft Dungeons, and Hour of Code from Minecraft team member Jewel, a community spotlight with Caves and Cliffs highlights from social media, and some video highlights from video creators and streamers. Did you get a chance to watch the Minecraft Now video? Did you uh, check that out uh, during or after the fact? I did not catch it live. I was a little bit too busy doing all of the admin work, upgrading the Citadel and Infinity Cove to 118 behind the scenes. Uh, and I also had a heavy work week last week as well. Uh, but I did bookmark it and made a mental note to go back and watch it. And uh, when I did, I ended up feeling like a lot of what they were talking about was stuff that I knew already from covering it here on the show. That's yeah. not a criticism. It's just that, kind of, I mean, <laughs> as someone as steeped in Minecraft as we are, you know, like you, you kind of go into it like, okay, well, I kind of know all this kind of stuff. So I'm glad that I didn't watch it live because I would have been wanting to skip ahead as I did. And there were some fun moments that I saw. I mean, I'm a fan of Viscal 85. So like seeing him and, and, and seeing his reactions, they had a really fun like compilation of him laughing and just enjoying yeah. Minecraft, which is mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I follow him is because I do find that he enjoys the game very authentically. <laughs> uh, yeah. publicly um so that kind of stuff i i kind of figured like well this might not be for me and again that's not a slam on it there's a lot of people out there that just get their minecraft news from youtube and so i'm sure that the mojang team is happy to have their faces and their experiences shared with the community 
um, being able to do something like the community highlights and showcase other builds. And it, I'm sure it makes those people featured um, feel connected with the team, feel connected with the community. And I, I think a lot of this stuff has been up to YouTube content creators in the past to deliver it to us. Now, sometimes they work for Mojang, sometimes they don't. And I feel like in, in this case, it's just a nice way to say like, well, look, if you have any questions about some of these updates and features, you've got it from the horse's mouth, like Mojang has done Minecraft now. And if that doesn't answer some of the questions, then you might have some more digging to do, but at least there's an official kind of like, this is what's changed. This is how things are and why we did it and stuff like that. So again, I didn't really get into the whole thing. I, I skimmed through and watched bits here and there, but um, what did you think of it? Have you seen the whole thing? Yeah, I skimmed it as well. I watched the first maybe half hour of it and just kind of like cycled through some of the rest of it. I felt like it had a similar vibe to the kind of casual developer chats and the community fo focused sessions of the Minecraft live streams whenever they announce a new update, except without like update reveals and things like that. It was more just let's talk about this update, the work we've been doing, focus on some of the, the celebration of it out there in the community. And I think it might even be that they've decided to do this because they needed an outlet for celebrating the Minecraft community since the ongoing pandemic means that Minecraft Festival, previously known as Minecon, is postponed perhaps indefinitely. Because there's less chance of them being able to safely do a live event these days, it makes sense that they want to have something that community feels like they can be there and be a part of and participate in and see some of their favorite content creators and some of the devs doing what they do. So I think it's a, a cool idea. And um, also potentially, you know, looking at this from the, you know, the, the content strategist in me um, is, is thinking this can probably guarantee a broader reach and they can track more engagement with it if it's on YouTube compared to the community focused articles on Minecraft.net, which might maybe go under the radar if you're not used to checking minecraft.net and like you said a lot of people are used to getting their minecraft news from youtube so it, it makes sense for them to be uh, to be up there and it's always really nice to see folks like Ulraf and Henrik talk about what they like about this update, the challenges involved, and give a little bit of a, uh, a kind of inside baseball on some of that stuff. So yeah, I, I was quite happy with it. I, I'd like to see more of it, and hopefully they'll they'll see enough engagement with it that it's worth them continuing for the next little while. I didn't see in my skim through, but did they take any like community questions from Twitter or or anything like yeah, that? I mean, I know they, I know um, that the uh, the the live chat on YouTube is always a a mess like it's just there's yeah. just so many people i presume they had some folks behind the scenes picking out questions from the live youtube chat and oh, then okay. feeding them to lydia who was hosting the whole thing because yeah she was definitely kind of feeding questions from the chat to the developers who were there so i think it's um yeah it, it it's a system that they've clearly got working to a certain extent where they can pass youtube chat even though it's full of you know potentially thousands of people at any given time yeah i, I think i think it's going to work quite well for them and maybe in the long run they've obviously got to focus on you know seeing people's builds and reactions to new terrain and stuff from twitter that i expect that will start to feed back into questions for minecraft now and i think they even posted some stuff on their community page and stuff as well so maybe there'll be a formal submission process to it at some stage but either way it's kind of nice to see them like allowing community interaction to happen, but in a very uh, concentrated way. So as far as 118.1 and the log4j issues go, um, I've only just launched 
118 one long enough to um, make sure that the launcher had switched and I did the things in the article that it was supposed to do. Um, I I haven't actually played in 118 one, so my render distance and stuff like that is all just as it was in 118. Uh, apparently though, and this was brought to my attention by my friend Alistair, that uh, 118.1 is compatible with 118. So if you're running 118.1 locally, you can log into 118.1 if that's what the server is running. Sorry, vice versa. If, if the 118 is being run on a server and you're running 118.1, apparently you can log in no problem. Um, but with Fabric, um, we've run into a bottleneck where I have to wait for Fabric and or the hosting provider to update the Fabric build on the Citadel. It's different than it was before uh, on my previous hosting provider. This is something that happens automatically or it has to be selected from a dropdown. I think mm-hmm. I could do a custom build, but I just this all happened on the weekend for me and I just didn't have time to go into it. Um, yeah. Now, the, this, the benefit there for me is that um, both the servers that I run, the Citadel and uh, Infinity Cove, my Patreon server, are both whitelisted servers and small. Uh, even the Patreon server is small. The Citadel's got six people on it. So, mm-hmm. and everybody's friends on the Citadel. And most people are now friends on Infinity Cove. So we decided to proceed with um, just whitelisting and everybody is just kind of making sure that, you know, their own personal logins are secure and stuff like that. So we we moved forward with caution, but really the, the options were don't play at all or wait for Fabric and 118.1 to kind of get caught up. Uh, and having just updated to 118 after waiting a week of the servers being offline, uh, we just decided to, to go ahead with it. Um, the only thing that I would say, and this is not a, so much a criticism, is, is more of a hope for the future. Um, I found as someone that's not so literate with the back end of Minecraft, that while the instructions were very clearly laid out in terms of like, you have to, you know, edit a Java argument. Um, There's a lot of people out there, myself included, who don't know what a Java argument is or where to find one. Mm -hmm. And so the instructions are like, oh, well for the server, all you have to do is manually do this and you'll be fine. And I had comments like that come in through, you know, Twitch chat or my own discord. And it's just like, well, that's fine. But you're assuming that I'm already at a point where I know where a Java argument is and what to do about it on the server. And I understand that third-party stuff is not Mojang's responsibility. They just need to let people know what the code is that's you know needed. But I, I do think that there could have been a little bit more instruction in terms of like, you know, this is where you need to go to find this stuff. And and especially if it's like, maybe it's not a server that you're paying for, but maybe you've, you're hosting your own server on a machine in your home, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the other thing is that um, the, the launcher update uh, there's, there was a news bulletin right on the launcher, which I thought was very good. Like, you know, this big security issue, like, please read this article. Like before, you know, it was very obvious to read that before you, you know, logged into your game. But mm-hmm. when you did launch, uh, you know, close down the launcher and re-upload it, there was nothing to indicate that the launcher had been updated. And all it would have taken would be like a little bar across the top or something to indicate like, Hey, your launcher needs an update. Please close it and restart it. That mm-hmm. didn't happen. And I feel like with a security issue like this, I feel like a prompt on the launcher to say, you know, this is a vulnerability. You do need to restart the launcher. You're currently running, we'll say version A. And then when it launches up, congratulations, you're on version B. Go forth and play safely. Like that mm-hmm. kind of feedback, I think would have been helpful. Yeah, communicating that to people is one thing, but then following up on that communication to let them know they've done the right thing obviously yes. goes a long way. And yeah, might have been difficult when they were clearly burning the midnight oil to get this figured out in the first place but uh yeah hopefully it should all be resolved now and looking at the other like the list of other things 
online and yeah, other businesses that use log4j to log any set of messages it's like it's pretty widespreadly used so it's it's very difficult to imagine a situation where this wasn't like you know all hands on deck for all of these different companies um yeah i i mean i don't have concerns too much about playing on multiplayer servers because again the the only multiplayer server i play on is a a group of friends and none of them are going to be bad actors in that sense and, and do this but obviously for people who are casually playing on public servers then that's always going to be a concern one of my favorite things i read about this though was that people were using the exploit to fix the exploit like if you if you logged into a public server you could input a line of code into the chat that would tell your computer to fix the exploit (laughs) like it would direct you to something which obviously isn't super cool in terms of you know you're still using the exploit to do something on somebody's computer without their permission but if what you're doing is resolving it for everybody else in future i'm i'm not certain that like we can officially condone that on the spawn chunks but it's still pretty smart to do that um so yeah kind of kind of interesting to see how different people came up with different solutions in my case my patron server runs on uh the latest version of paper and that was yeah, they had a fix out for paper pretty quickly. So I updated the server jar to the latest version myself and it included a fix for the issue. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to say congrats to Mojang for being so open and informative about this issue. I, I commend them for their response to it, resolving it very quickly and not trying to sweep it under the rug, you know, like at least letting the community know that this was a thing that they should be aware of and should be fixed as opposed to just trying to quietly fix it without telling anybody because i don't know maybe they could save face or something that way if people knew that there was this big security vulnerability that's only just been brought to light instead you know openness and honesty is i think the best approach to handling stuff like this so it was well handled in my opinion um outside of that uh having updated the survival guide world to 118.1 rolling back the fog is definitely noticeable uh i i kept my render distance the same and I've already spotted a couple of biomes off in the distance that I didn't see before. Uh, so, like, looking over the edge of a forest, maybe there was some mist obscuring it before. I now definitely know there's a jungle in my world relatively close to spawn. Um, and so I'm wondering if I'll adjust that again if and when I start using mods like Optifine that allow for more control over fog, simply because the... Fog provides a lot of atmosphere that I think might be a little bit lost and people might be turning down their render distance in order to get a more atmospheric effect if they liked the fog to begin with. Because it adds perspective to stuff. You know, you build a a house on a hilltop or something like that. If it's there in the distance, then you can typically get a feel for it being like oh it's quite far away because of the the distance effect that the fog provides whereas now with it being a little bit flatter overall it's going to be interesting to see where the boundary lies for people and if it affects people's aesthetic sense of what can be done in minecraft but i think most of the people who care about that stuff are also going to be the people who are using optifine for its visual tweaks adding shaders in to take nicer screenshots and a lot of the time those will have their own you know fog effects anyway so there there are going to be solutions and workarounds for people who aren't too keen on the effect in vanilla default graphics and so forth and maybe even resource packs can start to adjust things like this in future moving on into chunk mail if you'd like to email the show the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the first email is from mr piggywig7 is minecraft 118 too easy 
Hey, Johnny and Joel. I, met like many others, have started a new survival world in Minecraft 1.18. It's been a while since I've played the early game and I've been finding it a bit too easy. While I am definitely enjoying myself, resources are abundant and easy to get, I've had to slow myself down not to progress too far too fast. I may be a bit biased as I'm a long time player with experience, but I always play on hard mode and it's never very difficult for me. Personally, I don't notice a big enough change in mechanics between the difficulty settings besides damage values and a few niche examples like zombie villagers. So I have resorted to making challenges for myself, such as not crafting armor, playing with large biomes, and not having a single home base to go back to. Hardcore isn't fun for me, as dying is, I feel, part of the game, and hardcore offers no real game challenges when compared to hard mode. And so my question to you is, should Mojang make the difficulties in Minecraft more distinct, or should the players set the pace and challenges for themselves? Mr. Piggywig7 was struck by lightning and turned into a zombified piglin. <laughs> the Easter egg. The Easter egg outro. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Very nice. Um, so my, my two cents on this is, yes, I think in the long run, difficulty could do with rebalancing. But the problem with suggesting that mechanics change is that everybody wants to be playing the game with a complete set of mechanics. And I think it is weird to me that zombie villagers don't get made out of regular Like, regular villagers cannot be zombified on easy mode because a lot of the time keeping those villagers around is a desirable thing and if it's harder for you on hard mode that makes sense but if it's harder for you on easy mode then that seems a little different um i think easy is more just like slightly simplified in that sense rather than necessarily being easier but we're also dealing with you know difficulties in semantics at that point um I think a lot of the time people would want to play on the version of the game that has what they would consider the most complete or straightforward or well-documented set of mechanics. And so changing too many mechanics beyond how much damage the player takes might not really be a popular thing in terms of rebalancing difficulty. It's difficult to say one way or the other. Then again, I think the ultimate thing to take away is that this is a sandbox game. And so it, it's so customizable that anybody who is seeking a greater challenge can find it for themselves. You can set self-imposed restrictions. You can use data packs to configure things. You can set game rules to configure things. Try not sleeping for the night <laughs> is, is an interesting one because after after a while, you know, set yourself maybe the challenge of only sleeping once every 10 in-game days. So you have to deal with phantoms and hostile mobs during the night and ask yourself whether that's really more difficult or if it's just kind of an obstruction to the stuff that you want to do in the game. Because I don't think difficulty should be necessarily an obstruction. It should feel like a challenge rather than an obstacle. So on the Citadel, which is a forever world for all intents and purposes, difficulty isn't really a factor anymore because everybody has kind of doubles of all their gear and and you're so well geared that really the odd skeleton and creeper, the creeper is going to destroy the build and, and make you angry, but it's not necessarily, like you dying t 10 feet away from your bed is really not the end of the world. Um, right now, I would say lava and the void po pose the most threats on the citadel compared to to mobs 
Um, but I will note that we don't have pillager raids because we've got that feature turned off because we find them to be a nuisance. And mm -hmm. in Dartmouth yeah. Meadows, we deal with a lot of villagers for trading and whatnot, and it just became a pain in the butt, uh, especially if somebody got like, you know, um, not Hero of the Village, but the um, the other one. What's it called? Um, blanking on the Bad name. Omen. Bad Omen. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So like that kind of stuff just became a pain in the butt. So we decided to turn it off. Uh, we could turn it back on if we wanted it to be harder. Um, and I, I'm with you on the whole data pack thing. I think that might be one of the ways that that players could make the game more difficult. I don't know if it's possible to add a new boss fight or something like that with a data pack. I've certainly seen that with mods uh, where new bosses and new fights are available. But the thing I find with modded Minecraft as far as difficulty goes is that I, I find that it tends to buff the player. Like everything mm -hmm. seems to be God mode and a lot of that kind of stuff. So usually it's it's people kind of getting sick of things that either take too long or are too difficult in Minecraft and they want to make it easier. Um, but I feel like data packs might be a good way to go. And I mean, like you said, sandbox game, get creative. Um, um, Impulse SV and Skizzleman had a series, they might still be going, called uh, Naked and Scared, where they just, I mean, it was both fun and practical to provide some some added challenge. They didn't craft any armor and they were running around, their characters were running around in, in, in skins that looked like they had just a pair of tidy whitey underwear on, which is funny, mm -hmm. uh, but also provided a serious challenge for them as players, especially where they're used to playing an endgame on, you know, Impulse, of course, on the Hermitcraft server. And so I think that that kind of switch around uh, is, a, is a good way to, to do it. Um, I myself play with iron armor. I think the only netherite piece i have is my boots only because i fall off of stuff so often that it just yeah i, I don't want to repair my boots every 20 minutes so i like i just use the netherite because of the, long, the longevity of them and mm -hmm. so i have them there but i have a gold helmet elytra and iron leggings and that's it and i could probably ditch the iron leggings um but i i know it like if i'm fighting a skeleton and they get a couple of hits in i'm not feeling very good <laughs> like yeah. I, I i have to be on my game if i'm dealing with any of that kind of stuff you have to be quick on the draw so that's how i make it harder for me and what's nice about that is that it doesn't affect the rest of the server so other players who do have problems with mobs who don't like going to the nether can gear their sums out in in netherite everything and have a much better time of it um we do play on hard mode on the server because of the drops and the like the you know the spawning rates and all that kind of stuff for farms and i think that's one of the things that would keep mojang from um altering any kind of like mob hit points and stuff like that one of the suggestions i had written down which I, I no longer think is a good one is like adding in beefier mobs you know like being able to say um more mobs at hard mode would spawn in with armor but then that changes the amount of hit points that they would have and if you've got a mob farm then more of your zombies are surviving because they've got armor on when they're falling a certain length and that changes the mechanics and how all that kind of stuff works and i and i think it's a better balance to kind of like delegate that kind of stuff to to data packs now on the flip side if you started changing the player's health and hit points i think that's a little bit easier to wrap your head around and and unless you're doing something very specific like trying to figure out like how far can i fall without dying and stuff like that then then i think you just have to be aware of what difficulty you've set your gameplay to but i think keeping the mobs the same and for harder difficulties nerfing the player is probably the direction to go but i don't i don't have a, like a, a catch-all solution for it if you look at the minecraft wiki article on difficulty there's actually some really interesting examples of what changes if you switch to a higher difficulty and obviously i think one of the 
ones people will be aware of is starvation, right? You know, if you eat right. regularly, then your hunger stays full, you regen health, all of that stuff happens as normal. But if you don't eat and you end up running out of food, your hunger bar depletes until you start to take damage. In easy mode, that's only half your health bar before it stops starving you. In normal, you get taken down to half a heart, and on hard, you die uh, of starvation. There's a couple of other bits and pieces behind the scenes, and this came up recently for me that I was kind of surprised by. Skeletons become more accurate. If you're playing on easy, they have basically an inaccuracy value, which is quite high on easy and quite low on hard, meaning that they become more accurate on higher difficulties, which is why if you play on hard mode, the skeletons are so accurate and able to nail you 100% of the time, and it feels like they're a real pain. And it's for a start, it's pretty impressive that considering on a single-player world you can change the difficulty on the fly, that the game is able to instantly adjust those values and have skeletons behave totally differently, um, or at least shoot at you much more accurately. And I think the difficulty in changing difficulty becomes how much stuff is it possible to change dynamically. If it's whole behaviors that mobs exhibit based on, you know, their AI changing, how difficult is it to inject that into the game on the fly? And, you know, if you switch back from hard to easy, does the mob start behaving less intelligently again? How does that end up working and how much stress does it put on the game's code overall? I think the real game changer for difficulty is going to be the Warden. Because the Warden provides a challenge that you are not supposed to be able to win by fighting. And I wonder how Mr. Piggywig7, our correspondent, is going to treat a an encounter like that. Because historically speaking, there have always been ways to cheese mobs even on hard mode, right? Like, I'm playing on a hardcore server, I raided a Bastion the other day. Anytime I had to deal with a piglin brute, I just pillar up three blocks and I pour lava on it. And the most, you know, hard-hitting, regular, hostile mob in the game just goes away. Um, you know, that that's not necessarily, you know, making them any less of a challenge. It's just players finding easy ways around those challenges, which is one of the design, like, principles that they're trying to apply to the Warden, is that players will try and cheese it. It has countermeasures to that. And... At that point, once we have a demonstrable working prototype for that kind of behavior in-game, do we then find Mojang wanting to adjust difficulty to incorporate stuff like that in the behavior of other mobs? Or are other mobs supposed to be basic enough in their intelligence that they're just going to remain like a standard challenge for the player that the player gets more and more used to until it becomes trivial to deal with them? I think because this is a sandbox game, you're ultimately going to find that Things want to be made easy, largely speaking, for the players, especially on harder difficulties. You still want to be able to accomplish all that you can do on the easier difficulties in terms of building stuff and redstone, and eventually you just want to be left alone so that you can complete those projects. So I think making difficulty something that actively throws stuff at the player constantly is not the right move. I'm interested to see what happens once the Warden comes in and we get a glimpse at a challenge that players can't necessarily overcome through brute force or the obvious tactics. It's interesting about the warden. I hadn't thought about that. I was mostly focusing on what's available now, but yeah, with the warden coming, that's going to be a, a definite shift. Yeah. Uh, I have a follow-up question that will lead us into the next email, so we can wait and answer it then, but I'm wondering if we're finding 118 harder or easier than 117. I think that's going to depend heavily on the approach of like each player because I think people who've come in on 117 are going to find 118 
a lot harder, whereas more experienced players who are used to, you know, they've run into giant pitfalls and things like that, which are probably some of the most dangerous obstacles in 118 is just the sheer depth of the world and the amount of full damage that can kill you. Um, I think that's going to be a, a big factor. And the main difficulty change for me in 1.18 is that every large cave is basically a ravine in terms of it can drop a creeper on you at any time. Yeah. And avoiding drop creepers is is one of the most difficult challenges. But I'll move on to the next email so we can talk about that a little bit more. This comes in from Samantha N. And the subject is new solutions in 1.18. Hey, Apix and Joel, I've played Little Minecraft in 1.18 and realised the changes to lighting and mob spawning will change a couple of farm designs. Although very niche, passive mushroom farms will now be way safer and simpler. Have you been surprised by any gameplay or design changes this update has brought about? Samantha was shot by a skeleton and impaled on a stalagmite. <laughs> and that is one of the problems in 1.18. Yes, dripstone caves generating in more places and having bigger drops into them a lot of the time. I was raiding a stronghold the other day on the Don't Die server, and I went through a stronghold that was bisected by a dripstone cave. And so it had a few broken up corridors and doorways that led to nowhere. At one point I opened an iron door, almost rushed through it, and on the other side there was about a 40 block drop into dripstone. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very happy that I, I had hold, I held shift when I was walking through the door, because otherwise I would have been a goner. Like, it would have been done instantly, no matter what armor I had equipped and so forth. Like, even a water bucket wouldn't have saved me from that fall. So, um, yeah, I think there are, there are a few things. Going back to Samantha's actual question, um, gameplay and design changes this update has brought about, uh, there are a few, and I think a lot of them you summarized with your lighting kind of discussion earlier about lighting up builds on the citadel a little bit more for me it's um finding myself building on hilltops because i want a good view of the surrounding terrain and i'm also seeing fewer mobs on the surface but that might be down to a number of different factors like local difficulty because i've started this world playing on normal mode and i'm going to upgrade to hard later when i have a discussion on difficulty and I think there's also greater volume of caves below me taking up the mob caps. So if anything, I'm surprised there aren't more mobs spawning on the surface in areas where I haven't lit things up already. Um, but that's kind of the main thing in terms of the, the gameplay changes for me. How about you? I've found mechanically, just anecdotally, more mobs are clustering together. Rather than encountering a zombie that's spawned inside a build, I'll encounter three. Right, and so yeah. in a way it's been a little bit harder. Like every once in a while in this in the West Hill, I'd encounter a skeleton that spawned or an, under a bridge or something, or I'll have a creeper that kind of wanders into town. But generally speaking, I have to deal with one mob at a time. Uh, unless I'm like out front on the road where there are no lights, at which point there are, it's a sea of mobs. But that was like that before when, like before 118 anyway. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that I'll see like, oh, there's a creeper and a skeleton and a spider, you know, or hey, there's a zombie and three friends. Like what? Wh why? Well, all of a sudden they're just everywhere. Um, and I shouldn't say everywhere. They're just, they're all together. Whereas they would have been previously spread out. Like you would have been saying, oh, there's a zombie 40 blocks over there and there's a zombie a hundred blocks that way. But, you know, now I'm seeing both of them at the same time, very close together. Um, but I don't know how much of that is me playing in a very well lit up area. And so the spawning spaces are then reduced, but then the spawning numbers are still the same. So like Minecraft is just spawning the same amount of zombies just in smaller spaces, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm sort of wondering if they've given pack spawning a bit of a buff because I've also noticed when I'm exploring larger, flatter areas like caves, for example, if you go into one of those bigger caverns, I'm finding that there are more groups of mobs as well. And again, that may just be anecdotal and you may have just <laughs> kind of prompted me to think that based on my own evidence. But I do think there's a few areas where because there's a wider, flatter area, you can spawn more mobs together at once instead of the game encountering those exceptions where a pack spawn attempt fails. Um, so just more broad, flat, dark areas like that may be the cause. I've also noticed more creepers. And and I, I say that, and like I can go two or three streams and not see one, you know, or at least not encounter one where I'd have to deal with it on the citadel but then like on sunday i think i killed six like it's just <laughs> including a couple that got real close um which i should have clipped actually but yeah like there's there's a fair amount of, of stuff like that that i've noticed i i think the in terms of the other mechanics in a in a less kind of mob focused way um i've i've just been as i mentioned earlier double and triple checking my lighting uh it's it's something that is absolutely noticeable because you are so used to looking over your shoulder when it's dark um, mm -hmm. that now I am doing it, but then realizing and reminding myself I don't have to. It feels weird, but I am here for it. I, I Again, I like the results of the change. It's just something that I'm noticing is taking some thought to get used to. Um, as far as farms go, I'm pretty technical, despite the fact that I'm mostly a, a builder these days. When I do a redstone farm or a mob farm or something like that, I'll use our creeper farm as an example. It's built at the lowest point, or it was the lowest point in the world. That's now changed. Uh, in Dartmouth Meadows and the whole thing is light tight so like lighting changes are not going to affect a mob farm like that it would affect other farms if I had an open you know mob farm that didn't have closed walls things like that so most of the stuff that I've done in that light on the server have been kind of like to the extreme efficiency anyway so the lighting changes are really not going to affect that much uh, I don't believe anything in the nether has changed as far as lighting and mob spawning. And that's where most of our mob farms are, actually, like the Wither Skeleton farm, the Zombie Piglin farm, like all that kind yep. of stuff's in the nether. So anything in the overworld, like we never got to the point where we needed an, a general mob farm. Um, I was lucky enough to have three spider spawners within um, activation distance. So like the, uh, like the drops that we've needed in that way have all been generated by specific mob farms, you know, skeleton spawner creeper farm and then spider spawners so we've not needed a general purpose like redstone farm yeah and i i found that in terms of other design changes as well the uh abandoned mineshaft spawners are more often than not disabled by either glowberries if it's intersecting with a lush oh, cave wow. or, or some of the torches that naturally spawn as part of the structure and i i don't know if I think mob spawn light level is still the same, so they can still spawn in seven and below if they're being spawned by one of the mob spawner blocks. But it's, I, I think, so maybe that's more more an anecdotal thing. But glowberries being all over the place in those structures does mean that you don't always have a chance of encountering cave spiders as soon as you stumble into one, especially if the the whole area that you're in is is part of a lush cave like mine was. So there's there's things like that that have actually made things a little bit safer generally and things like strongholds are another example people have pointed out that now there are enough naturally generated torches in strongholds that you don't encounter as many mobs when you're roaming around in them and so it becomes a little bit more of a, a labyrinth style exploration challenge rather than a challenge of fighting a bunch of mobs in darkened corridors um 
And that might be okay, because by the, by the time you get to a stronghold, you've probably had your fair share of mob encounters and you're not that concerned by them by that stage. And the only real challenge then becomes stuff like Silverfish. But uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see as the the gameplay goes on, if anything really feels significantly easier or harder. And one other sort of side thing is that now there are so many blocks that I didn't really need to remember output light because, you know, you didn't need to use them for spawn proofing, so it hardly mattered whether they did or didn't. But now I've I crafted an enchanting table this week and I realized it spawn proofs your enchanting setup automatically because it emits light level 7. At least on Java edition it does, not sure about bedrock. But the faint glow it gives off is enough to spawn proof all the surrounding bookshelves so you don't nice. need to worry about putting a torch down there or a glowstone block underneath it is what I used to do. Um, which I don't think really works anymore because the enchanting table bottom texture isn't transparent like it used to be. But still, there, there are a variety of things that now feel like they can have a bit more nuance to them, which is cool. And as far as whether that makes the game easier or more difficult, I think it shifts things around a little bit more. It's, it's more of a kind of rejigging of stuff than it is necessarily a swing towards easier or harder. And yeah, we'd love to hear from more people about this issue because your mileage is going to vary significantly. But as somebody who's more experienced and has never really found that many combat challenges in Minecraft once I knew what I was dealing with, I think it's, you know, it's sort of a moot point whether the game feels easier or harder at this point. It's it's all going to be about how the player behaves. And as long as you don't rush into areas that are clearly a little bit <laughs> precipitous and you're going to fall off a cliff into a deep slate cave or something, then most of the time you're going to be okay if you were okay before. So what do you think we move into the main discussion, which uh, I thought this week would be fun to just kind of like take a, a note of what's been shifting in our gameplay from previous time in 117 moving into 118 like what have been some of the the differences and the shifts that we've noticed yeah yeah definitely i think abundance of certain resources is going to be the big one for me because i'm still a little bit early in my world for this but i'm naturally very happy about how easy it is to acquire resources that were scarce in 1.17 we've made much of the lack of small drip leaf from wandering traders and now i can just walk into a lush cave and get it um, but aside from that, in terms of gameplay stuff, one thing I'm finding is because we are so drawn to mining lower down in the world now, because we are encouraged to go further and further down to get things like diamonds, because that takes priority in the early stages of the game, once you've got a decent amount of iron, you're also looking for iron lower down in, you know, huge ore veins in deep slate levels to begin with. I'm finding I'm acquiring more deep slate than cobblestone. And I feel like that's almost going to change the building meta a little bit for me, because before, all the mining you were doing was just going to produce a huge amount of stone. And stone is still easier to mine than deep slate, it's still faster, so some people might take to mining a little bit in the higher levels of the world anyway. But the people who are after a broad band of the resources that you can get are going to be acquiring a lot of deep slate. And so that's going to lead to me building more with decorative deep slate blocks than it is with stone variants, because for a start, you have more of the resource, but I'm also more inclined to use the decorative deep slate blocks because they don't require that extra smelting step to get brick variants. So stone brick might actually be kind of unusual for me because I don't need to 
I need, I need to smelt it in order to turn it back into natural stone, at least until I get silk touch. So I'm, I'm finding, curiously, that I'm not relying on cobblestone and stone stuff nearly as much as I would be in the early stages of any previous world, just because of where I'm choosing to mine. And I'm kind of wondering how that's going to affect other people's gameplay and aesthetics and the materials you have available to you when you start thinking about putting all of those stockpiled resources towards a build. Yeah, I haven't gone down to dig yet. Like we're, I'm still dealing with a stockpile of, of blocks that, that I had pre-118. So when I do run out of Deep Slate or, or want more uh, tough or whatever, I'm going to make an outing of it and we'll go exploring and see what I can find. Uh, but yeah, like I feel like, I feel like there's probably going to be a, sh a shift for me as well. Like I can see myself kind of using more of what I have more of, you know, and, and, and in a way just going and mining more stone when I eventually need some, cause eventually you run out. Um, I, it's going to be the same old, same old, right? Like I'm, I'm looking forward. I like, I don't want to go dig another mine underneath my witch farm. That's more stone you know, diorite and, and granite. I'd rather see what I can find as far as copper, you know, um, veins, uh, seeing if I can find an iron vein, even though we don't need one because we have an iron farm. I just, it would be cool to find it. You know, it would be cool to, to have that experience. So, um, and I know making the shift from the, we'll say like the more modest side of West Hill, the medieval town into the richer side, having more, robust things like tiled floors and things like that i'm probably going to be looking at the deep slate and even the blackstone and stuff like that to see what i can maybe move into my to my builds and, and work together so um i can i can see there being a shift and a welcome one because i mean like how many times have we said on on the show that you know you're looking at an oak wood and cobblestone build because that's what you got and it just feels like such day one minecraft that you never mm -hmm. build with it ever again and i'm i'm curious to see in several months like is the new is the new meta gonna be like well i wanted to get deeper i got deep slate right away because i safely dug down and got into a cave or whatever so now instead of you know um cobblestone and and oak wood everywhere maybe you're gonna see uh cobbled deep slate and whatever wood goes best with that right like yeah, it's, like it's I not gonna be oak wood right but based on my spawn, it's going to be deep slate and birch, which I'm not yeah. sure if I'm happy about or not. <laughs> but um, I, I'm I'm slowly starting to to recognize the potential of birch in some of the stuff that I'm building with. But uh, I also think that stuff like biome diversity and biome frequency is going to play a big factor in people who've been doing stuff in 1.17 and earlier who are used to jungles being a rare biome because now it seems like they are not, or at least not as much as they were before. I think jungle wood is going to be easier to stumble upon because of the temperature mapping that is dictating where biomes appear in 1.18. So we might see more people building with jungle wood in the near future. And just because of its availability, getting getting hold of it in the early game is going to be a lot easier than it was where you'd either have to get lucky with a spawn that had a jungle nearby, or you'd be going, you know, 500, you know, thousand, potentially more thousands of blocks out in order to find a jungle just so you could get a wood type that you didn't have already. And I think considering that mangrove is coming up and mangrove seems like a good transitional wood between jungle and acacia, people are going to want to get familiar with jungle pretty quickly. So I think it's going to be a nice thing to have woods like that be more accessible to players. And that's a, that's a major shift for me. Even though the main world I played in in 1.17 had a jungle as a spawn, 
that was very specifically chosen to be that way. And I think a lot of people are still going to find they're going further afield. The Minecraft Survival Guide world didn't have a jungle for about 4,000 blocks in any direction. So Survival Guide 2 has one probably within 500 blocks of spawn. And I think that's going to be the case for most people's worlds. So again, in terms of availability of materials, we might see a bit of a shift in the meta. Things getting a little bit more even or even biasing towards materials that people didn't use as often before just because of availability. So my my main things that have, have come up and flagged for me, I've already discussed a bit in, in the show, so I won't repeat myself with the lighting changes and the mob clusters and stuff. But on a technical side, uh, I had to deal with a bunch of uh, troubleshooting performance and hiccups and stuff uh, moving from, and this is as much to do with moving service providers for hosting as it is to updating to 118. Uh, but in the process, of course, some of the um, performance mods that I use are not yet available. Uh, at the time that I was making notes for the show, Optifine uh, wasn't available. Uh, and Optifabric um, and Optifine for me weren't working because of the way that the Citadel is running Fabric with Lithium installed server side, which did work before on my previous host server, uh, now currently crashes the client. So I, I'm kind of waiting to see where the cookie crumbles with Optifine, Optifabric as to whether I use it or not. But right now, because I wanted to play this weekend, I've opted to try out Sodium, which I've not had a good experience with in the past. Now, I'm happy to say that there is a bit of extra stuff happening in the regular gameplay with Sodium. Normally, I, I got about 55 to 60 FPS in 117 with Optifine. I'm up in the 75 FPS um, for Sodium. Now, I don't really feel that Sodium does what has commonly advertised online because uh, I've had some trouble with the performance of it and I went looking for troubleshooting Sodium. There's very little to that effect. When you try to search for things like this, it just comes back with reams and reams and reams of Reddit posts and videos saying that Sodium now gets me 247,000 frames per second. I'm exaggerating, but it's up in the 200s. I've never seen frame rates up in the 200s for mm -hmm. Sodium. Um, and when I switch over to use shaders, which you now can because there's a mod called Iris that allows uh, shader use with sodium, uh, my frame rate drops back down to 55 and 60. But not only that, I get an awful lot of screen stutter, tuttering and even tearing. So the performance of sodium right now, while regular gameplay is good, and I want to say has eliminated previous um, screen stuttering that I was having an Optifine in late 117.1. So there are some good things about it and i'm not saying that i'm disappointed i'm not getting 240 frames a second because anything over 120 the human eye is just not going to know uh and and i don't even i don't even think I'm, i would notice much between 75 and, and 120 honestly um but for me it's more about the quality and wanting to kind of expand and see if i can't like increase the quality of my gameplay experience by using shaders or whatnot and I've just not had that experience. Now, none of this, of course, is on uh, on Mojang. These are all third-party things. Uh, but these are the kind of headaches that I think a lot of people that have to run these performance mods uh, to enjoy their Minecraft experience are also experiencing whenever there's an update. Now, fabric stuff tends to come up pretty fast. And because of the transparency changes uh, over a year ago, I think, Optifine is also pretty hot on the heels. It's not like it takes weeks now for Optifine to get updated. And there's usually a preview version that might be unstable, but at least you can give it a go and see what's up. Uh, I yeah. don't know what the issue is right now with Optifine and Optifabric crashing my game. I know you can't have Lithium running locally when you want to run Optifine and Optifabric with, with Fabric. That's I know that. But 
I've, I know that you should be able to run it on the server. So um, there are things like that that are, I'm a little bit, you know, concerned about. Um, in the process of eliminating Optifine temporarily from my setup, uh, I've had to replace other things. Like I looked for a, a dynamic lighting mod. Um, I don't remember the name of it, unfortunately, because I, I, I uninstalled it as quickly as installed it because it turned Minecraft into a slideshow, even on the yeah. easiest settings. Mm -hmm. It just was not nearly the smooth experience that that Optifine was providing. Um, and that was without shaders on, obviously. Um, but OKZoomer okay is a data, is a, no, sorry, not a data pack, it's a mod that um, replaces the Optifine zoom, the classic kind of like C key zoom in stuff. <laughs> is, is it called OKZoomer? Okay it is called OKZoomer, okay <laughs> which is half the reason I installed That's it in the first name. place. It's so good, such right? Such a good name. Uh, and I mean, it was recent, it was recently updated, it, it's been kept up. And what I like so much about it is the control. One, it gives you a nice little animation, very similar to using the spyglass in, in, in 118, 117, right? So that's really fun. So it keeps kind of with that spirit of Minecraft. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't change the mouse to cinematic mode when you zoom in. So it's not like the slow, draggy yeah. way you can look around. And you can use custom keyboard keys or your mouse wheel when you're scroll when you're zoomed in to zoom in even farther or zoom out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so as a content creator and pointing at something that's, you know, the top of a building and say, see this window here? And you go, and it looks like a zoom in from a camera. It doesn't look like a quick cut. It doesn't look like a jump cut. It's it's very smooth and and feels good in that way. So that that is something that I might actually keep around. If I ever get Optifine working again, then you know, I've got, I've got to do that. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there are a number of mods out there that allow you to connect textures. So if you're used to your glass being connected or your stone being connected from Optifine, uh, or if you've got some custom textures going on, then um, there is a connected texture mod for fabric that replaces that feature of Optifine. So there are some things out there that people can kind of use in the interim. Um, there are a number to choose from, and I don't know which one is best. So, you know, kind of use and figure out which one you like. Um, but yeah. yeah, so far it's been it's been frustrating from a technical side of part. Yeah, and it, for anybody who is looking to stick to their guns and stay with Optifine, I can't speak for Optifabric, but Optifine is now available for 1.18.1 as right. of yesterday, Sunday the 12th. So right. it, it seems like it's going to be updating relatively quickly now, like you said. And it was available for 1.18 much quicker than I expected, and 18.1 just seems to be a couple of minor tweaks which Optifine can probably ignore considering that it has its own rules when it comes to generating fog and, and manipulating that. So we'll see. And hopefully it's it's working well for people who, who need it. Um, I'm personally still avoiding messing too much with the technical side because of the vanilla nature of the series that I'm making. Of course, yeah. Um, I'll probably dip, dip into Optifine later. Mostly it'll be for connected glass, I think. It just when stuff like that starts to annoy me and uh you know maybe for shaders for more cinematic stuff like time lapses and things but i am thankful that i don't need it for performance reasons because for the most part my performance has been pretty good um i haven't noticed any significant drops between 117 and 118 at least so that's been fine for me um i'm still playing on a simulation distance that's the equivalent of my render distance they're both at 16 chunks and i don't need to do it that way but i'm just finding it you know i it makes more sense to me when i do um the other thing that's changed about 118 that I feel like I haven't touched aside from the increase in depth in the world is the increase in height. Um, I, I'm not thinking about building a tower from sea level to Y320, right? Um, and it's the kind of thing that 
you almost take for granted if you're building on top of high mountains. You just think, oh, okay, this goes up as high as the terrain can go, but I still have a little bit of headroom before you hit the build limit. And I think that has been such a natural segue in the world because of the terrain generation feeling so epic and sweeping and so forth but knowing that you've still got a little bit of height on top of things like you did with any older mountain ranges and shattered savannas and that kind of stuff that you don't really think about it as much it's it's much more of a a subtle thing than you might initially think and i i know the developers said that it was one of the more significant challenges of implementing this update was convincing minecraft that it could have extra blocks below you know negative y coordinates and and up as high as 320 when it had been the other way for so long. And it's one of the changes that is probably the most seamless for the player. You're not really going to know about that until you try, if you're, you know, out of the loop when it comes to the changes that have come in this update. And for most players, it won't be wholly significant after a while, because we'll all get used to the fact that the world dimensions are what they are. But really, it's a it's a big change that's kind of going under the radar in terms of gameplay. But sooner or later we'll run into that and it'll be an interesting uh, surprise and an interesting challenge to see how that uh, can be incorporated in some significant way. It reminds me of a, uh, one of the fast travel points that was on the realm of Vastin when I was there. And the way that they entered into the end was through a full drop of um, above world build down into the the stronghold that they had dug out and you basically jumped there's a leap of faith and you traveled a, a hundred blocks if not more a couple hundred probably before you entered into the the portal and just thinking about what could be possible now <laughs> if you're yeah you know if you somehow get yourself up to the top of the world and you have a shaft that goes all the way down to whatever level that the stronghold, you know, um, portal happens to be on. Or if you've got something else like a water drop or something, you could I've end up the, falling like, a long way. I've seen the portal rooms generate as low as like negative 40 and they can probably wow. go lower as long as they're not, you know, breaking bedrock to place the portal yeah. room. I think I think you can you can find them in all sorts of weird places now. So, yeah, there, there is potential for it to be pretty epic. Um, be careful. I, I think java edition at least still stores your momentum when you go through an end portal so you're gonna splat into the obsidian platform at terminal velocity if you try that in java but <laughs> i think that's that's going to be an interesting uh, interesting thing to see how people yeah ad adapt to stuff like that and what sort of wild stuff you can do jumping off the world height i know there's a couple of advancements that were added in the uh, snapshot phase that have to do with trading with villagers at the world height and jumping the full height of the world down to you know where bedrock starts and everything so there's um yeah there's going to be some some fun ways people can mess around with that i'm just waiting to see who takes advantage of that in terms of you know survival builds and stuff like that like who is going to be building a skyscraper that reaches the full height of the world in their modern city build for example like there's there's some fun challenges that can be set there that i'm probably not going to scratch the surface of for a long time yeah no i agree Speaking of fast travel, uh, one of the things that we noticed was broken on the Citadel when we updated was the command blocks that we have at our world spawn. So um, for folks that aren't familiar, uh, at the center of the world, the 11XZ coordinate, we have a small setup of uh, manually constructed portals, uh, big quotation marks there, where uh, you walk up to what looks like a portal, you press a button and a command block teleports you to the designated area. So modern city versus medieval world, that kind of thing. 
And uh, I checked, the code is in the command blocks. The server was set up to enable command blocks, uh, but when you press the button, nothing happens. And so we've um, done a backup, we've done a restart. I haven't played yet today. Hopefully that's all that was required is that you know maybe that setting was, was, um, was changed after the world had been started. And because it is a new server host, um, some of the routines, the daily backups and the daily restarts had not been uh, implemented yet. So that could have been the problem, but um, we were sure that it was something a little bit more straightforward, like maybe the code got erased from the command blocks or, you know, command blocks weren't enabled or whatever. And so um, I noticed that that was a thing that had happened. So if anybody else out there has that kind of stuff happening on their server, uh, write in spongechuckmail at gmail.com. Let us know. And if you found a possible solution, unless it's something as simple as I'm suspecting and I'm back up and running by the time we we talk again. But uh, those are just some of the small hiccups that I've noticed, you know, technically moving into, into 118. Everything else seems to be pretty straightforward. Like I, I know I have a different setup, so I can't really compare, you know, my sodium and, and stuff to, to the Optifine previously. But I, I feel like in general, um, things are, are pretty smooth. Like I, I've not run into, um, anything that would have been un unsuspected. Like the first time that I ended up going to the modern city, well, that was the first time we loaded those chunks in this world since moving servers. So like that makes sense, you know, that there's yeah. going to be a little bit of a little bit of a hiccup when you go through that nether portal, you know, getting in there and, and just waiting for things to load in. Um, but everything loaded in very quickly, uh, which is something I have noticed. And um, like the 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 render distance and the the quickly uh, the qu the way in which chunks are loading, I have not noticed um, what we've experienced before, which was, you know, you're walking around and then like chunks are like missing and you can kind of see through the world and it mm. kind of breaks your immersion. I have not noticed any of that. And so the, the move to 118 in a lot of ways, despite my own personal, you know, tech hurdles, which are, are on my end, I feel like it's pretty seamless. Uh, have you noticed anything like that? Cause you've got a new world. Like have you, have you noticed any kind of like the speed at chunk loading? I mean, I obviously I know you have a, a very decent rig, but like, have you noticed anything like that, that you would say is, is smoother than 117? I mean, not especially, but I've also been going from 117 on a server to a single player world in 118. So there's been a couple of things that are smoother for me just because it's a locally hosted world. I don't end up with stuff like block lag because it's not having to report breaking a block to the server and then back to me and so right. forth so yeah it's it's an, it's an interesting switch for me and i'm i'm noticing just some of the benefits of hosting a world on my own machine um so so not yet and i'll keep an eye out for stuff like that because it's obviously going to as a world builds up things are going to start to you know change a little bit and once i start building redstone contraptions and testing performance of that kind of stuff we'll we'll see how it all works out but again this would be something that would be really interesting to get people's feedback on not just in terms of the technical side of things but in terms of the gameplay like have you noticed that you play differently in 117 to 118 are you acquiring more of certain resources now they're available are you spending a lot more time down there in those caves let us know like joel said uh, email the show and we'd be happy to hear from you uh, for now though that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks you can find some information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show you can put some value back in at patreon.com slash the that's where you can join our community pledging at any level gets you our, uh, an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our future goals of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our 
listeners. We're currently at 306 patrons, which is bouncing back from last week. And a special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Paulbo Baggins, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find the Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. And a personal recommendation is another way to support the show. Just poke a friend in the arm and let them know where they can listen to the show. That includes platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. And hey, while you're out there, why not leave a rating or a review in the iTunes store? A lot of other platforms and other podcast players will use the iTunes store as a way to find new shows for people that are just looking for Minecraft podcasts. So by having a good rating, by having good reviews, it just ends up uh, pushing the show into the ears of new listeners without doing anything else. And even if you don't want to listen on iTunes, you can just kind of peace out after you leave a review and listen wherever you want. You can email the show at Spotify spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the rss feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is linked on the patreon page and that's where you can find the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is johnny but online i go by pixel riffs you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash pixel riffs where i try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in season two of the minecraft survival guide i also stream three days a week on twitch where i'm currently playing on the don't die december server and i'm the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search aside from that i'm at pixel riffs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online Everything that I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at thesizzlecafe.com. Behind in recordings, or at least publishing recordings, we've got a couple of episodes coming out this week. And you can look forward to the Holiday Roundtable, which we try to have every year. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, and of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm back to playing Minecraft on the Citadel, and hopefully looking at some new games over the holidays. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but was that cave there before? Mm.